0: Hello, hey, Dave. Nice to meet you. What is that? What is that?
1: Why are we on on screen? We are. We on are screen. on screen. Uh, this is new. This is very new, um, and this will be hopefully, assuming everything's gone okay with the recording and everything else, because we're still just trying this out. But hopefully, this show marks the beginning of us posting video to YouTube as well as posting the podcast through normal means. Yes. Yeah. Like this is this so, something
0: we're trying out. So uh if you listen to this on audio, yeah. this is not going that's not going away or anything. Uh yep. it's just like maybe we can we can also put this stuff on YouTube. It's content now. It is just like the oh it's no. content, content Everything is content. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but we're using a service that uh allows for recording video as well as audio to handle our, our um calls every time we do the show and we've never tried the video before so it seemed like yeah maybe maybe today's a good chance it's a new year we're um this isn't actually the first recording we've done this year um we've we've got one the one before this yeah. episode was the first in
0: 2024 Dave, let me interrupt you double check you have the right Go microphone
1: because something doesn't sound right oh no no it is it is It's definitely okay cool this one cool yeah um once bitten twice shy in that (laughs) sense uh the the airpod fallback was not a good episode and i'm very sorry still about that
0: it's okay we all we all forgive you are your your loving fans i hope so (laughs) um hey welcome to waiting for review a show about the majestic indie developer lifestyle Join our scintillating hosts, Dave and Daniel, and let's hear about a tiny slice of their thrilling lives. Join us while waiting for review. Now we're we're in the show proper.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't feel like the show has started until you've you've given the intro. The scintillating. scintillating. I just love saying that word. It's just like fun. Um It is a fun word. Yeah.
0: Dave, someone wrote to us.
1: Ah, again, this keeps happening.
0: Um, Queen Olivia writes Ah. on Mastodon. waiting for, at Waiting for Review, I have a question for the podcast. I've worked in enterprise for the last decade, and when I'm working on my projects, I'm never sure where the line is. TDD, pipelines, internationalization, I assume that means, design systems, Mm -hmm. fast lane automation, to name a few, are part and parcel of an enterprise app. But is it overkill for an indie dev?
1: Where do I draw the line? Ooh. Uh, I love that question. There's a lot. It's a great question. There's a lot in there, though. There's like In any one of those things, any one of lines could be drawn mm-hmm. as well. So if we're just taking a look at that, the very last bit of the question is, is it overkill for an indie dev? Yeah. And I think, yeah, a lot of that is often mm. overkill for an indie dev. If I look down down the list, um, let's pick on one. I'll pick on TDD, the, the very first. So test-driven development. Uh, in, in an enterprise environment, that can work very, very well. If, and only if, in my opinion, you have um, very strong acceptance criteria the scope and everything of what you're building has kind of been um, identified quite well up front, or at least you've gone to some level of detail with it, then, you know, in an enterprise environment, you can then start by writing the tests that match those acceptance criteria that match that scope before you've even written the code, right? There's a lot of forethoughts already gone on into what it is you're building. Uh, And potentially even, you know, a few bits of, proof of concept code or scratch projects or that sort of stuff ahead to try and feel the way. Uh, But naturally, it means you end up, you know, you start with tests, you're thinking about it from that point of view. It can be quite labor intensive, right? And, And an enterprise environment naturally, by implication, has the time and the money, as it were, and resource to take that hit yeah you know yeah is my opinion and has been my experience of, of what I've seen in my career so far right is like the environments where that works the best are the ones that can afford it um, straight up front and I know there's an argument that says you end up paying for it one way or the other right the tests themselves give you surety in what you're building and if you don't don't have some tests in the mix then you know, sooner or later you're probably going to encounter some sort of bug or regression or whatever and regret it and then ends up spending all that time trying to fix the thing you know when perhaps your test harness may have helped in the first place. So there's a balance. But if I bring it around to where we're at and sort of think about indie development in general, and me and you are probably in very different areas on this right now, because for for Telemetry Deck, you're... Uh, You're probably in a situation I would imagine where unit tests at least are are pretty crucial, actually, for doing what you do for your your, um, service. But I'm in scrappy app development land where when I make a new app or add a new thing, I don't necessarily know if it's going to stick. Yeah, there's a lot of iteration still going on in what I'm doing. Um, So... I guess all this is to say is that I behave very differently as an indie developer for my apps than the way I would do in my enterprise day job. You know, it's like I I want to get something out there as quickly as possible, see how it fits the market, see what any reaction is to it. Um, And I would probably not bother with a full suite of unit tests straight up front. And I certainly wouldn't start with writing tests to begin with. Right. But I'm going to pass the mic to you, Daniel, because I want to hear the telemetry deck <laughs> side of things, and 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 because I know you've been on your own journey with testing, and I don't want to just pick on testing to answer Queen Olivia's question, but I think it illuminates some of the um, the mindset yeah. and the difference between the two. I I actually I thought
0: about this post for a while, and the thing is, I almost have like a almost fully written um, conference talk about basically this whole topic, because I, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like every time I show some, someone my code base or um, what I'm working on or whatever, like a lot of the times people will be, will be asking, like, are you using this? Are you using that? Like one of the, the mm-hmm. things on, on, on Queen Olivia's list. And um, so I, I I thought about this a bit and I think my personal philosophy on this is the following. Uh, a, I... <coughs> don't want to unnecessarily close a gate uh before before it's um like if if I don't have a valid reason. Like for example, um telemetry Deck's front end has like the the JavaScript framework that we use has an internationalization framework available so mm-hmm. I actually make sure that all the all the strings that I have are actually marked as translatable and they are in this singular file where i like i I could translate them but of course i have only i only have the translation for u.s english right now because Mm -hmm. like yeah that's not it's not the the time yet to have a complete translation of of everything but i'm not closing that door i'm keeping that i'm keeping that option for later and i feel like that's that's like part one or part a of a lot of these things like Mm -hmm. If you have the experience of what you will need later for that part of the professionalization slide, um, then try to keep the door open or at least like not, not put in too many, too many roadblocks in there. Um, So that's part A. And then the part B is, it's a bit subjective, I think, but I'm trying not to do any of the things on that list until it hurts a little bit like yeah. there's a certain point where there's more to be gained from implementing tdd or uh let's say fastlane or so, some of, one of some of these things um mm-hmm. also with like this is not on their list but like error tracking um <clears throat> that kind of stuff um there's like there's a point where there's more to be gained but at the very beginning especially if you're working alone or in a very small team Doing all these things would slow you down considerably, and at a at a stage yeah. where maybe you don't even know if your project is a success, or where you you don't even know yep. what success means to you, um, and so at this point, like it's not not really makes doesn't make a lot of sense to do to do them. But then then un, invariably you will end up at some point where you're like, ah, I feel like I'm spending too much time trying to manually test my APIs or whatever. And then that's the time yep. where you say like, okay, um, now it's time for to add some testing to this part of my application. Um, like for example, mm-hmm. the telemetric API had way better tests than, oh, had tests way before the front end had tests because like it's the front end, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the philosophy that, where, where I wanna go like, don't try to be professional too early um Mm -hmm. like but like keep like just like listen to your to how it feels like if it feels like you're spending all your time suddenly like doing some chore then it's time to automate that chore or to keep to make sure that this like is somehow automated or like go up one step on the professional professionality layer and i feel (laughs) also it's the same way about um like hosting stuff like for example at some point it was like it made more sense for Telemetry deck to host on Docker and Kubernetes, but that point is not immediate immediately like <laughs> but at some point the the yeah. complexity was actually less using that compared to like doing everything by hand uh, and so it also applies to that kind of like all all these um the things that. Uh, professional large-scale software development processes too. It also applies to uh, I want to say I, I want to say it also repli- uh, applies to frameworks and stuff like that. Uh, for example, mm-hmm. uh, React Native is one of those things. Um, there is a long-standing, let's say, discussion um, between fans of or users of React Native and people who who dislike it. And one of the reasons is that React is very verbose and um, you actually have to write a lot of code, but it makes complete sense for uh, a large scale operations with lots of developers who can actually produce that, that amount of code and that amount of work. But it maybe yep. may, it doesn't make sense for you at this point unless you have mm-hmm. a lot of experience and then can just like be faster than if you would have learned another language or something like that. Um, yeah i have one more i had one more last uh example which was nah. it'll come to me later <laughs> but
1: yeah so <laughs> That's the
0: basic gist of my philosophy here is like do the do the bare minimum and then like mm-hmm. like increase increase the, the the stuff as like as it's beginning to hurt
1: oh yeah I, I'm, I'm so you're, ta- I'm remembering, you're, you're remembering advocating- I'm going to cut you off for yeah. a second because I want to get the pun in. You're advocating for PDD, pain-driven <laughs> development. <laughs> Bring the pain.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I um, I feel like um, this is also a, a very important uh, regarding like how do you find about about failures in your application, and mm-hmm. that there's a scale here as well. It goes from I want to know. When my services is completely are completely down? That's like the the yep. the bottom of the of the Red scale. It. Or the ladder. Yep. Or Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I guess. <laughs> How many metaphors <laughs> can we can we cram in? I'm gonna stay with the ladder, I think. Um bottom of the ladder is it. like lowest rung is just like inform me when the thing goes down. Below that is my users are telling me when my service is down, which is kind of you know mm-hmm. um, and then next up is inform me when a crash happened like a specific crash like then next one, next one is like inform like actually tell me the um, the crash log of what happened uh, and yep. then, then it goes up and up and then you end up at at, at test driven development and uh, even further you end up with like uh, UI automation and stuff like that, which is very brittle mm-hmm. will easily break will like, will actually like UI automation will usually cost you a lot of work. Uh, not only yeah. at the beginning, but also just to keep it updated with your actual UI. Uh, but yeah. at some point, the pain of not having it is greater than the than the pain of having it. So that's where you you flip the switch, basically.
1: Yeah. To be honest, I, I completely agree, Daniel. <laughs> like in terms of like all of that, like that makes total sense to me, and I think. Um, That really is it. What you're arguing for is in an indie environment or a startup environment even, um, don't over-optimize too early, right, is is the thing. And and, and that can take many forms. You know, we say that about code, right? Don't over-optimize your code. Um, just write write something that is clear, that works, that does does the job, um, and think about the optimizations. Again, as you feel the pain, as they become obvious. Um, and that can take many forms, you know? Like, I've, I've written um, quite a few things where, like, for example, in GoVJ, in my, my video mixing app, I don't even have a database layer for the user's um, project. I, I use JSON. <laughs> right and um, so i store it in memory and every time they change one of the videos um in in the slots um the in-memory representation gets changed so the app works and then it runs a background thread to persist it back to disk by writing the file out now that's not very optimal uh but also i only have Five slots of sixteen videos. There's eighty options in mm-hmm. total. The sheer size of it's not going to get much bigger than you know a certain amount, um, and it hasn't caused me any issues so far. There is no point me going back and and, and turning that into say Swift Data or, or Core Data right now. Yeah. Uh, there's a world where that might, might make more sense. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about building this um, pro version of the app. Uh, It might make sense for me to use some sort of shared container. And so if you've imported media into one of the apps, you can access it in the other, for example. Um, And at that point, having something shared with settings could also make sense. Or maybe not. I've not gone there
0: yet. It's also about your personal experience, I feel like. Because if you had Mm -hmm. uh, like 1,000 hours of experience with Swift data or something else, then Mm -hmm. it would probably be like, like just like second nature to you to just implement something with the database, yeah, and then you just go for it. Yeah, and exactly. Cause you pain at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, these days, because um, that was where I was at, sort of eighteen months, two years ago for this rebuild of the app. <clears throat> you know, these days I might be more inclined to start with GRDB, for mm-hmm. example, um, and and then I know I've got a pretty stable, clear migration route if anything changes and all of that. But that's the thing: is you've got to find where your experiences um, work work in a way that leaves you being productive as an indie, because typically your time is at a premium, right? That that is your biggest upfront cost on anything if, if you're bootstrapping, especially, right? And yeah, don't get too bogged down in those details. If something's giving you pain, if something is obviously critical to what you're doing, then yes, you should prioritise that. Uh, but if you're literally building something brand new, you don't know what the, the the market fit for it is even yet. You know, you don't know whether anybody's really going to buy your app or or whatever it is. Um, is it going to? F- That's the question you want to answer straight up front. And no amount of test automa- automation no amount of localizing to every single language and locality that it could be is going to make that question easier to, to answer. Right. Right? The users don't care how many tests you've got. <laughs> um, and, you know, by and large, uh, people appreciate localization and it can be a game changer when you're at a certain scale. And obviously everybody likes to be respected in their, you know, in, in their home language. Um, so it's a good thing but if you want to answer the question of is anybody interested in this app typically you could launch on one language right and and go from go from there Uh, but as you say don't box yourself into a corner make sure that you've um, you know you're using the appropriate tags or whatever that is so that later on if you do want to go that route it's not a big pain like obviously pick your level of difficulty, try and make sure you don't close any doors too early on things. Um, It's all, it's all a balance. Uh, One thing I one final thing I wanted to add Mm -hmm. on that, because I've had a bit of experience with um, typically whatever I'm writing in my day job, I will try and echo in my side projects, right. In terms of coding style. Mm -hmm. And so when I was working in an environment with the coordinator, Uh, design design pattern and mvvm or mvp whichever one of those i was using in my day job my side projects were sort of echoing uh all the way up until you know two years ago i came up with the the router pattern for swift ui that i was then using with my teams in in my my day job so of course i was using that at home now these days my job's a little different um and i'm the the, the environment i'm working in is in the financial sector it's a bank and we've got a very layered very very opinionated code base that we're working with i just wouldn't dream of trying to re-implement that sort of (laughs) approach in my side projects right and i i call on this because what's also happening is is that as i'm revisiting old code bases recently and looking back through some of my projects i'm like all oh, right, I've got to remember where my headspace was at outside of this project at that time, right? Because I've kind of written it according to my old job rather than anything else. What I've done recently, like in the last six months or so, is as I've been building new things, I've just leant purely into doing basic Swift UI. right? Everything's in state, environment, uh, bindings are passed through the view layer not particularly worried about layering dependency injection and all the other things i might have worried about in the past with the router design pattern uh, so a lot of my code looks like apple example code or hacking with swift example code or, or whatever you will see out there right which Very is not too bad right? you, don't have,
0: you don't have to re- uh, reinvent the wheel all the time and if if it's yeah if it's a good default pattern then it's probably the right one
1: Yeah, and so what's happening with that is I feel like it's now providing a very simple base that means that when I come back to things that have been dropped for a while, it's not so jarring. And actually, in terms of getting something together, it's a speedier way of developing as well because I'm not worried about like, okay, have I got a mock for this? Have I got the ability to pass this around and test that in isolation? At the same time, I'm not boxing myself completely into a corner because all the, the dependencies I'm creating uh, can have tests uh, written around them. I'm not making views too uh, bog down with the logic. I'm trying to push those to objects that are then shared. And, and just by making that basic tweak, you know, that, that then means that uh, if I need to wrap test automation around these things later on, I'm not going to have to unpick them all and do that job because I know that would annoy me. So I'm I'm kind of that that that's my uh that, that that's my nod to that end of things if you like. I will make manager or service classes and um I'm being very specific about what functions are public and what are private and internal as well so that I'm kind of marking like this is the API layer of what this is. Mm-hmm uh but beyond that i'm not thinking too hard about it i'm not doing protocols for everything so i can create a simple mark i'm not it's very like just just write the thing get it done uh you know and and it it's felt a lot more fun as well because you can be quite speedy that brings me actually actually to my last point
0: about this like we've talked already about avoiding pain but Mm -hmm. at the same time if possible you should also try to be seeking fun like yes your motivation is probably one of the resources that you need to manage um like you're like with your indie side you're not in a big corporate job you need to be motivated to to be to work on a project for the long for the long haul before yes. it gets successful i just like there will be a there will be a time where just like you have to keep plugging away at the things that need to be done and of course. These are not all technical. This is a discussion that we've had multiple times, but the technical stuff should also kind of motivate you. And so Mm -hmm. if you structure your development environment in a way that is fun for you to work on, that will be easier. And that that means on the one hand, avoiding the pain, but also on the other hand, picking technologies that are, enjoyable to use for you specifically like maybe it's something new yeah. that you want to try out and you just use it because you want to try it out like for example that's basically the main reason behind why the telemetry Deck API <laughs> is written in Swift Vapor just because I wanted to try out Vapor mm-hmm. back when it was a um a, a fun project because I was an expert at writing APIs in Python um mm-hmm. But I didn't. I didn't use Python for the API because I wanted to try out. Like, hey, what it? What would it be? And it turns out it is actually a very uh, good way to write the API. So I never had the felt the need to rewrite everything. Um, yeah. But yeah. So also like seek your seek your pleasure, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, and I think that's a very good note to end this section of the show on. To be honest, is like keep it fun. If it's a side project, you know, you're doing that after hours, after work or, or whatever. You don't want to recreate work at home as well at that point, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and if it becomes a going concern, if it becomes a big, big business, you've had some success, well, you'll be quitting the day job at that point and then you can shift things, right? Uh, but yeah, keep the fun. Yeah, Exactly.
0: All right, um, next next up is actually, because we're now a professional podcast, right? I mean, look at my lighting, oh, yes, look, at, yes. Um, yes. look at our video recording and everything. We have um, a follow-up section now. Uh, I have hereby, mm-hmm. I'm hereby creating a follow-up section. And the only topic in the follow-up section is, Dave, you were right and I was wrong. Uh, can you, can you guess what this is about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> it's, Go on. It's right in front of you me. in the show notes. Hi, God. Whereabouts?
0: Uh,
1: oh, are... Unix system. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <I> <laughs> said, now, you said uh, you referenced Jurassic Park with it's a Unix system. I know this. Uh, and I said I'm reasonably sure or I'm, I, I said I was sure this is from Jurassic Park 2, either the book or the movie. I double checked and it's both in the book and the movie. It's from the first uh, Jurassic Park. So you were right, Fair. I was wrong. And I'm um,
1: I'm big enough to admit that <laughs> I'm gonna be dining out on that one for a little while then, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and I've I've Life had this right.
0: lying around in the topic list for at least two episodes now and I've completely forgotten and now now <laughs> my just like my my eyes kinda landed on the thing and I was like Yeah, that's actually what <laughs> that's actually what <laughs>
1: yeah yeah i know my old memes
0: (laughs) no your memes (laughs) yeah um i've put a link to the video clip in the show notes for our brilliant um, esteemed listeners to click on and enjoy and learn from my mistakes about unix systems
1: fair yeah fair i think you need to rewatch the jurassic park oh, to, i do uh,
0: actually like i haven't watched yeah. the first one or actually any of them in ages um the jurassic world kind of destroyed destroyed the series for me a little bit but
1: oh, Phil, maybe it's time to revisit not, not, the, not the, a, the
0: very first one the the, uh, the score yeah. alone is like one of the best movie scores ever and it's like just sticks in your head all the, like for so long
1: absolutely that's uh kind of scary it's gonna be it's got to be 30 years old yeah. now this year right or was it last year it's 93 or 94 i'm sure <laughs> you watch it, it'll be 92 and i'm wrong this time uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not looking it up. right now at least. Nah, um, nah, let's stick to the show let's get back to uh apple indie and all things tech yeah um do you want to talk about vision pro I do and I don't. I don't know when this show is <laughs> going to go out exactly. Yeah. And so it could end up being quite out of date, you know, if, if I don't get my act together and get this uploaded Which is quickly fair. enough. Like, I mean, you gotta, you got a life, you know. Yeah. But, hey, let's let's talk about it as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because right now, as we speak, it's early January. The Vision Pro is not released yet. Um, it's about to be. There's been some yeah, rumblings. Because and it has been announced. Of, 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 yeah.
0: And... Yeah i'm has your has the announcement actually changed your views towards the vision pro like has anything for changed me. for you like just like for how it feels because somehow it has for me like oh, okay. i still won't buy one because it's incredibly expensive and also mm-hmm. for me uh i would have to pay another thousand bucks just to fly to the u.s and pick one up um <laughs> yeah, i mean in theory my family in um in virginia could probably pick one up for me and send it to me but then mm-hmm. you have to deal with customs and stuff like that and yeah whatever yeah so yeah. i'm not gonna get one but um in my mind the vision pro as it existed before uh the announcement of yeah it's actually releasing on september uh, february four three two two i think um i'm gonna look it up in a second um In my mind, before that announcement, it was kind of like, yeah, it's just like a nebulous thing. And it might change in the future. And um, actually, the device that has been shown in various Apple events, it might not be the exact thing that is actually then then released to the public. And then now it's like, oh, no, no, this is exactly what we're releasing. And I'm wondering, why wait then? Was it just to produce enough of the things? You know what I mean? Like, why yeah.
1: Why even pre-announce it that way? Well, yeah. Okay, so this was announced, you know, last June, right, at WWDC mm-hmm. as a product, as a thing. And I understand that. That is, uh, and, you know, you've been to some of the developer apps as well. So you, you've had Apple's, uh, like, I don't know how to call it, uh, they're readying the developers right they're trying to warm up the market warm up the 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 ground for people to start building experiences for the platform so it makes sense to have an earlier announcement for that um are you meaning that it doesn't make much sense for them to announce that it's going to be released next month whereas they could have just waited and gone hey here it is or <laughs>
0: i'm I'm actually not 100% sure myself like uh, maybe mm-hmm. I need to think about this some more. Um, so what I mean is I think that, um, like, so they announced it in, like, last summer or let's say June. Yep. And then um, what happened between then and now? They probably wrote, like, worked on the OS because that's yep. probably the thing that gets finished last. And also they kind of try to educate the the developers on, like, hey, this is actually, like, this is how you write software for Vision Pro and, yeah, and I think, and well, maybe they. Well, I say maybe, but yeah, probably they also started just manufacturing the things, which probably also needed yeah. needs a bit of head start. Um,
1: but there is a a point inside of this, I mm-hmm. think, where you are probably right about them continuing to to update and enhance the OS. And I can imagine that there were bits from the, the sort of developer roadshow type stuff that they did that has then fed back and tweaked things, right? And we've seen this before with with Mac OS releases, iOS releases, you know, when they're in beta, effectively, sometimes you get things that, that um, you know, the developers see first before it's even through mm. any sort of public beta, for example, with iOS, that go a couple of rounds of iteration in that intervening time. We've seen them go back and forth on on one or two things like that in the past. In terms of, I, I seem to remember stage manager had a couple of things for iPad <laughs> yes. OS where that. that also, remember around. that
0: that time when Safari for iPad and uh, iPhone was like super weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's um, you know, there's there's prior form for that that sort of period, and I I'm, I'd imagine a brand new platform needs a whole load of that. So they'll be using the the developers in those in that point um to get some early beta feedback early beta testing right they've, they've gone from being a closed audience internally secret project to mm. now we've announced it's on its way we're going to do these developer labs and that marks then a level of of wider user testing as well which i would hope they're then feeding back whether they needed it or not i don't know it depends on how close they were to begin with um yeah now that we're
0: but... talking about it i wonder what like n- none of the previous apple hardware launches that had a beta period for the hardware like for example the apple tv mm-hmm. or um the yeah or, or various like Macs or whatever like they, like, like think of the 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 trash can mac pro for example that got pre-announced and where mm-hmm. you knew how the device was looking like none of those got a Got a hardware update before the actual launch. Like, I wonder why I'm I'm expecting this to change how it looks like before before it launches. So, so there is one bit about the vision.
1: There's a bit about the Vision Pro that I think wasn't clear when it was announced, or not so clear that is now clear now that we've had this official launch date announced, and that is what the plan looks like for the um, for for lenses Mm -hmm. for for glasses wearers like you and I. Um, and that is now clear, right? You've got the options of what you can buy on the, the, um, site and everything else. I wonder if there was a last bit of, of figuring out how they were going to get those, um, manufactured and distributed and that sort of stuff sort of coming together in this time as well, because that, that feels to me like that is perhaps one of the areas that is just slightly different about this technology, right? Uh, is that you know you've got the hardware you've got the software but within the hardware you've also then got this requirement of some people are going to need custom optical lenses to make it work for their eyesight <laughs> maybe that's been part of it that's been needed to be be to have this time to get to where it's needed
0: yeah maybe that's it uh, I,
1: don't know.
0: I am opening up the apple page right now Hang on, let me share this with you yeah um and I'm confused. Like I'm, I was at the store page first, and it never sa- didn't yeah. say pre-order Vision Pro anywhere. So I clicked on Vision, and this says mm-hmm. pre-order starting 119, mm-hmm. um, which is not today actually. Uh, and so, but there's no pre-order no, that's, button that's, or anything. Yeah. It's just not there. No, there's nothing. To- and I scroll the whole page, and there's just nothing. Which, I mean, mm-hmm. okay, if they say okay, pre-order starts later than today. Yeah, that makes sense probably. I was hoping for yeah. prices because I thought I saw prices online.
1: Yeah, so did I. Um,
0: um which were like uh 150 uh bucks per eyeglass and yes, then three yes, five for the device but some but some configuration options. I kinda of wanted to see configuration options, but uh apparently there's maybe in the press release or something. We are very prepared yeah.
1: here. I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm looking at MacRumors um and their specific Vision Pro page right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a thing about sense. here's everything you get in the box. Um and that says that it starts at that three, four nine nine US dollars, uh goes on sale in the US on Friday, February the second, and then availability in Canada and the United Kingdom to follow later this year. All right. So this is a, a Reasonably constrained rollout to begin with, right? That's, that's only English speaking not... countries, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously, I guess like Canada's a, a sister market to the US in some ways, right? That makes sense. Um, even down to supply chain and that sort of stuff. Um, and then I guess the United Kingdom, yeah, it's an English speaking market right next door to europe um and it would make sense to to then go out from there uh i don't know like this feels like it's going to be very quiet and exclusive and drip 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 as people sort of start yeah. to buy the especially also because and, and, there was no it. event
0: at all it was just a press release i found the press release yeah, which, by the way, and it says the pricing and everything as well same right. info that you had in the MacRumors article. But the thing I'm tripping over right now is uh, size optical inserts for mm-hmm. readers cost $99 US. But for uh, size optical inserts for prescription costs you 149 <laughs> <laughs> which is, come on. Yep. It makes yep. sense in the production and everything, but... Ah.
1: Yeah, so... I mean, like you know, on the other hand, at least they're they're inserts, right? Which will make things a little easier for yeah. for resale. Um, that was something I was wondering about what the the story was going to be with that, because you wouldn't want it to be locked down to your prescription, and your prescription can change over time. So, yeah, and you it know, also, you also don't want to, to wear be... your
0: glasses underneath the device. That feels like. wrong. Although, like I have yeah. that with the PSVR, and that the advantage mm-hmm. is that it's easy to switch you know like you just take it off and then you're in the real world again and you don't have to grab your
1: glasses or whatever but you know yeah but the hey you know you could just wear the vision pro all the time (laughs) instead of your glasses right
0: (laughs) i want to hear i want to hear from parcel delivery people who mm-hmm. in a month or three, when people have the Vision Pro, like ring a doorbell and then some some weirdo opens with their Vision Pro on their head. It's just like, yeah, yeah I'm just taking the package. <laughs> 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 it's so weird. <laughs> like I remember, um, WWDC 2012 or so was my first yeah. WWDC. I think. Uh, don't don't. I um, will have to look up the. I have to look up the actual year. Um, I mm-hmm. was at a WWC and that was the same time when Google Glass came out.
1: <laughs> and
0: yes. there were a few people walking around with the Google Glass and they were met immediately with a lot of hostility. Like not like the, yeah. there were stares, and like people were moving, trying to move out, out of their <coughs> um, eye lines and whatever because they didn't want to yep. be weirdly, they didn't want to feel filmed and watched all the time and also it just yep. felt very weird and pretentious and i wonder well it kind of was at the yeah. time. and i mean the vision pro is like even as is, is way is way huger than than just yeah. like google like, i mean your eyeglasses look kind of like like google glass like they it was actually very slim just a bit um yeah. thicker on the side maybe and so yeah. the question is like how will people deal with people wearing with others wearing the vision pro because it feels Yeah. Weird.
1: Or maybe people will get used to it. I don't know. So I've got a couple of theories on how it all starts to look. So I think what you've described about the person coming to the door with them on, I think that's going to be a more typical first interaction for a lot of people. Like, you know, you visit somebody at home and they happen to have them on. I don't think it's going to be so typical that you see people going around on public transport and out in day to day life with them uh you they'll they'll be that one guy who has to walk down the middle of the high street with it on just to prove he spent three <laughs> and a half thousand dollars on it I, I know those guys exist right don't get me wrong they're they're um, tech
0: entrepreneurs
1: yeah 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 exactly you know i don't even have a mac anymore i've just got my vision pro and my watch and that's that you know they'll yeah. be like oh i, I can all the digital exactly nomads the and minimalists yeah those people to one side, I think day-to-day, if you think about like how uh, ubiquitous AirPods have become over time, right? that took a little while. And initially to see AirPods out and about was a bit like, huh? Um, but I don't think the Vision Pro will have that same journey to begin with in the form it's in. And I actually think it's going to be more like it will be a monitor replacement for for developers and people using computers all day it will be used in specific environments where it adds something to to what people are doing in some in some way in a working environment is what i'm thinking Um, and then it's going to be used for leisure at home you know and again you're talking about a situation where it's not getting really taken out and about you know i'm using it to watch a a movie and have a imax experience type thing sat on my sofa or you know, maybe i'll take it with me and i'm using it in a hotel um that sort of thing right that's actually a,
0: a, think... one of the only really good um use cases that i can think of right now i mean that will probably change as mm-hmm. more software gets available for the for the device but like right now if i had a vision pro like i would take it like Two, like, yeah, what what you said, like hotel rooms and stuff like that. Like when I was, uh, I had a job once where I was working in either Munich or Berlin or San Francisco. And I was kind of like switching between the three. And so I spent yep. a lot of time in either hotel rooms or company-owned apartments that didn't have any of <coughs> my, um, like my devices or whatever. And I had a Nintendo Switch at the time. And that was like really nice to have because I could game all the time. But the screen is comparatively small. Uh, and so if yeah. I have nothing but one device and then I can actually have a big screen somewhere, that's that's kind of neat.
1: Yep. But then yep, again, absolutely. I don't
0: want I, I, I to wear any VR headset more than, say, two hours a day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's the area I can see it really taking off in, though, is, 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 is you know, for, for entertainment and then for, um, for work. Mm-hmm essentially for having, you know, a big screen that you can take with you to, to, to anywhere. And, and I know you're saying, yeah, you wouldn't want to use it for longer than two hours. Not everybody's going to feel that way. Um, in future iterations, they will probably get lighter. That side of the experience will be improved. Um, but I sort of see it kind of operating in that space, um, not least of which for sort of price. So if I was looking and going, okay, do I buy a new monitor? there's now a point where i go do i buy a new monitor or do i buy the vision pro right. to use so far i think the that.
0: scale is on the new monitor
1: yes like price i think and there'll be a tipping point like that.
0: but yeah i mean that um that um there might be a point where this changes and uh, most people will go for the yeah. for some vision devices instead
1: and there's also a point further down the line, right, where you assume that this technology gets improved, it becomes cheaper, that certain problems in edge cases get solved, all that sort of stuff. I think there's a point where it will get potentially used for helping people co-locate across space. Uh, you know, I'm sort of thinking like, well, okay, it costs $3,500 US right now. Say it costs closer to $2,000 for, for an SE version. In, in a couple of years or whatever that looks like. Um, does it make more sense for a company to give its people those and say, Hey, when you really need to get together, we've got a VR workspace that you can all come together <laughs> oh, in metaverse. and do. Yeah. 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 And does that make more sense than us spending on, on travel? I
0: mean, right? yeah. if, if, if,
1: if, it, and that, that for some companies that will make a lot of sense so it doesn't make sense um but
0: yeah yeah i i'm very much looking forward to the discussions we actually will have once uh once the device has been out for let's say a month or three months or something Mm -hmm. like that so that um uh, a larger number of people has actually used the device and there's like some consensus of like what it can do and which part of your life it can improve maybe or like just bring some joy into you know um yeah
1: yeah i think the potential for for connection like i say across space uh for people with it i think that's that's potentially quite a a deep uh how do i put it a deep avenue for for what the device is capable of what the applications and experiences we could have on it that potential seems compelling to me Mm. I, you're I am very your very slightly, sceptical. you know more than I do um,
0: we, um yeah we we had this discussion before, I think, so let's just I don't know, let's keep it brief for now, but like um mm-hmm. I still think that I don't think that any v r experience that we can do with current technology will be like significantly better than video calling us right now, um yeah, okay, so yeah, and it, it might even be worse because like you're not looking at people's actual eyes, um. Mm -hmm. and so yeah like right now i'm skeptical let's see what the future brings yeah um yeah for sure but if we don't have any like anything else about it like i i thought i thought i would i would we would look at the prices together but yeah the prices actually like there's no configuration anything um Mm -hmm. it comes with a solo knit band and a dual loop band uh which is cool but like uh, i was hoping for options and stuff like that like just configure mm. the thing just like for fun. But like, we're not, we're not there yet. Soon, soon. Um, I did bring another Top it in though, purple. If you're up for it. Go for it. Um, which is I, um, oh God, I had the longest day by the way. I had like, my day was like several years long. <laughs> um, um, But like today, one of the things that I did today is I showed someone my code, like the server code and the front end code. And if you had asked me yesterday or even before that incident, like how clean and organized is your code base? Especially for the server, I would have told you like, this is like spotless. It's pristine. It's fantastic because I I actually, um, especially on the server, try to work um, like without like leaving too much of a mess, like really think about like where I want to go, try to reduce Mm -hmm. clutter, try to reduce technical debt a lot. And I feel like I'm I'm pretty successful at it. Like I've like this is not my first Swift project, so like <clears throat> I have a lot of experience, and it, I feel like it shows. But then I showed this person um, my my project today and tried to guide them through and like try to make them understand the the structure and architecture that I built up. And suddenly, I was always, like, tripping over, like, oh, oh, yeah, this is, like, ah, this is legacy. Just ignore that one, that part. And, like, I was, like, <laughs> uh, this is, yeah, yeah, okay, like, this is an old thing. And, oh, yeah, this is a workaround that I did, which is kind of, it kind of works right now. And so I didn't want to touch it again. <clears throat> or, like, <laughs> I want to I ask you, like, do you, have you ever felt like that like um yeah suddenly you're seeing your your code or your project through another person's eyes and it's like okay (laughs) this is actually i just live in this mess and so i don't see the mess anymore
1: yeah yeah i've had bits of that experience for sure um you know in my in my uh day job life as it were i've had that experience when i've pulled together a proof of concept and then it's become a going concern and i've had to hand it over to another team member and it it, it, you know they then are going, what's that why is that like that why is this bit commented out did you really need that there all that sort of stuff and i've been like yeah but yeah but Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah but and it's like it's it's an unnerving feeling but i think it's it's to be expected like do you ever remember it was a simpson sketch <laughs> right. everything in my life devolves down to simpson sketches eventually but um <laughs> there's a bit where uh was it the character lenny one of one of homer's um, workmates the side of his house falls off and he's sat in there eating beans out of a can like wearing just some some shorts as, or you, something, as you do as you do and he just looks out and he goes please don't tell people how I live. <laughs> <I've> seen <that. laughs> Yeah. Okay. So you understand if you've seen that, and I've, I'll see if I can dig up a YouTube link to put in the show notes, because I have to remember not everybody is uh, was brought up on uh, early season Simpsons in the way that I was as a child, <laughs> and I'm showing my age now with the references. So I'll put it in the show notes. But anyway, the vibe there, though, is like, you know, you suddenly feel quite seen, quite vulnerable in a sense because you're trying to sort of justify some of the some of the stuff in front of you and then you're like yeah no they're right that that is a bit crufty or that is messy or no i can't remember what i was thinking at that point yeah i've experienced that and it's it's natural because as you're adding to something you know and you're making these decisions as you're just trying to build something and get it working and all of that um You know, I think it's quite natural for a bit of cruft to build up in that sort of sense. Uh, I've certainly got it in in my projects. Um, There would be a whole thing, like if I was to take uh, any of my apps that I've got in the store and then hand over to a junior, for example, say I've made my millions and I was now employing people with me, um, I would have to spend a bit of time cleaning stuff up ahead of that, I think because of that or I would have to make that their first job you know it's like well okay <laughs> well, whatever your you see problem here now. yeah 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 sweep sweep the floor first yeah. sort of thing um, yeah it's uh, the
0: thing is though I wouldn't even I don't think that even with a concerted cleaning effort like I don't think this code can get much cleaner it is actually pretty clean yeah it's just that it's not as self-explanatory or as pristine, perfect as as I, I it was in my head, because it just can't be yeah. probably. Uh, but I was a yeah. tiny
1: bit, tiny bit disappointed in myself.
0: So like, okay, I was like, okay, <laughs> like.
1: Uh, That's the thing, right? Did you have you gone through your codebase and annotated everything? as you might do if it was going to be public facing, for example, every single function call, every single property. Is it all most tagged? of it actually
0: um. because um, because I'm writing Swift code that is not for iOS. So actually uh, mm-hmm. or Mac OS. So I don't have an Xcode project file. This is just a huge Swift package with sub packages. Yeah. And for Swift packages, um like this um public p- private any annotations, they're actually very important. Um, yes so those are
1: on par but like, yeah, but do you have descriptions against every single thing yeah no <laughs> you know like re- ready for for Doxy to no. generate something like
0: many no. but not all of them i also have yeah. like various helper functions that um replace like three or four uh lines of code but then there mm-hmm. are a few instances where i just haven't replaced the three or four lines of code and they're just there and i was like why is this there? right? Like yeah. I was trying to explain a different point, And I was like, yeah, this, this shouldn't be like, this should be one line that is very self-explanatory instead of like four lines that are slightly this.
1: Yeah. I'm living a bit of that world at the moment. One of my slightly older projects I came back to, and I had exactly that. Like, why is there these three or four lines being copied everywhere? I have no memory. And I was of trying to, place. yeah. And, and I, I realized what I'd done, you know, I'd, I'd created a view modifier, that wrapped it all up that is now in my one of my packages that I've got, one of these Lego books mm-hmm. that we've talked about before. And so I stopped doing that and I just used, you know, dot light like beam theme or whatever I've called it. Um, and yeah, so I've experienced that. Even just going back and looking at your older code sometimes can can give you that feeling, right? Of sort of fresh eyes and why is that like that? Um, yeah. I think you have to at a certain stage if you've got so many things going on you have to expect a little bit of entropy to be around in these senses like it like you're saying you felt like it's probably almost perfect and then you found out mm, yeah there's a few bits that could be improved yeah it probably goes back to
0: That's... like find the pain points and you know yes like, where where like a lot of additional process and work could probably make it even more perfect but i'm probably i'm probably at the right level of um
1: uh technical debt which is not a lot but some exactly exactly And, and and i think that is the right level of technical debt in any sort of active project if you like because you know like you could go through and you could check the entire code base for all of those bits of repeated lines and replace them, right? Yeah, great. Okay. You've standardized it. You've got it. Or you could say every time I see this and I'm working on an area, I remove it and do it. And I would say the latter probably helps you out more than doing a general rewrite just for those bits. Because again, there could be bits that you go through and you update them, make everything perfect and then two months down the line, you actually rip that feature or bit out, or you've refactored it anyway, and you're working on it then at that point. Like, there's a point where it's like, did you really achieve anything by finding those things and proactively fixing them, versus is it better to just fix it when you're there? Yeah. Uh, and that, that could be a whole other show, right? We could go right down the rabbit hole here about, like, the nuances of when to get into take that. Uh but unfortunately, Daniel, I'm going to have to go. So Yeah, it's time.
0: It's time to leave. It's time. It's to leave. time. Uh, this ends our first video show. Um, but before you go, I have a question for you. But for, uh, before before even that, I <clears> want to thank <throat> our listeners for listening. I uh, want to thank our mm-hmm. viewers for viewing Um mm-hmm. And I want to ask you to please rate us on iTunes and or uh, smash that like and subscribe <laughs> button. And don't forget, oh, you went don't forget there. to ring the, is it the bell. Is it a bell? I think it's a bell. Like, don't forget to ring the bell, of course. Yeah. I don't know what that does. I think it gives you notifications whenever we put up a new uh, episode, which sounds horrible. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to contact us, uh, send us emails to contact at waitingforreview.com or mention us on Macedon and... And uh, now I'm going to ask you where people can find you on the internet to mention you.
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Mastodon and the Fediverse at Dave at social.lightbeamaps.com. Fantastic. And, uh, how about you, Daniel? Uh, find me at Daniel
0: at, uh, social.telemetrydeck.com.
1: Yeah. And, uh, we actually have an account for the podcast oh, as yeah, well, it. which is, it is waiting for review. or one word, like all the words concatenated together, uh, at iosdev.space. Fantastic instance. And I will link it in the show notes to make that a bit easier for anybody to click through <laughs> and find.
0: Yeah, send us feedback. We love hearing from you. And uh, thanks a lot um, to everyone. And yeah, that's it from, for today. Have a great day.
1: Bye, Dave. Catch you later.